This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Well, let's begin by listening to The Sealed Book, a radio series of mystery and terror tales produced and directed by Jock McGregor for the Mutual Network. The melodramatic anthology series was broadcast on Sundays from 10.30 p.m. to 11. Each week after the sound of the great gong, host Philip Clark observed that the mysteriously silent keeper of the book has opened the ponderous door to the secret vault wherein is kept the great sealed book, in which are recorded all the secrets and mysteries of mankind through the ages. Here are the tales of every kind, tales of murder, madness, dark deeds, strange and terrible beyond all belief. After this introduction, the dramas began, with three organ solo breaks for inserting the commercials of local stations carrying the programs, and although this anthology series did not have recurring characters other than the narrator and the keeper of the book, the writers often used same names for different characters from week to week, including Hester, Drake, and most especially, for some reason, Roger. Now, at the end of the episode, Clark told listeners to tune in the following week when the sound of the great gong heralds another strange and exciting tale from the sealed book. Hmm. Well, it's it's late at night, and the wind howls over the desolate countryside. In the darkness, a man runs frantically through the woods, trying to elude his pursuers. A tale of a man who stole by force the secret of immortality, of life everlasting. And what then turned into a mad adventure? <laughs> Once again, the keeper of the book is ready to open the ponderous volume in which is recorded all the secrets and mysteries of mankind through the ages. All the strange and mystifying stories of the past, present, and the future.
keeper of the book. What tale will you tell us this time? Mm, what tale shall I tell you? I have here tales of every kind. Tales of murder, of madness, of dark deeds and events strange beyond all belief. <laughs> now, let me see. Yes, yes. Here's a tale for you. A tale of a man who stole by force the secret of immortality, of life everlasting, and entered into a mad adventure. The title of the tale is King of the World. Here is the tale as it is written in the sealed book. It is late at night and the wind howls over the desolate countryside. In the darkness, a man runs frantically through the woods, trying to elude his pursuers. I've got to shake him, or it'll mean a ten-year stretch. Stop, or I'll shoot! That's twice they got me in the same arm. There's a house with a light in it. My only chance. If I stick to these trees, they won't be able to see me. I'm almost there. Here's a door. It's only unlocked. It is. Good evening. Now listen. Listen close. A couple of guards from the Horton estate are after me. I'll be behind this door covering you with a rod. So you haven't seen me, you understand? I understand. That must be them. Remember, any tricks and I'll start blasting. I have no intention of being foolish. Okay, go ahead then. Open the door. Yes? What is it? There's been an attempted theft of the Horton diamond, sir. We chased the crook this way. Have you seen anything of him? Why, no. Uh, there hasn't been anyone here tonight. Uh, we'll keep on going. Good night. They're gone now. Ah, you did all right. I'm glad you're satisfied. Hey, what kind of a place is this? All those machines, bottles and things. This is my laboratory. What are you, a professor? Yes, you... Right. Uh, hey, what's that? Ah, your nerves are on edge. It's only my great Dane, Caesar. Come in, Caesar. We have a visitor. Hey... What's he growling at me for? I'm sorry. He always growls at strangers. Don't like him coming towards me that way. Keep my way, will you? Come here, Caesar. He, he won't listen to you. He's going to spring. Well, this will stop him. Get him off. Take him away, will you? Here, Caesar. Here. Stop it, I say. Stop it. That's better. I think I'd better put the chain on you, Caesar. Uh, did he hurt you? Look. I put three slugs into that dog. Why isn't he dead? He isn't even wounded. You must have missed. You say I missed him, do you? I won't miss him this time. <laughs> I suppose I missed him that time, eh? Why isn't he dead? Well, the truth is, in this laboratory, I've created a serum that has the power to defeat death. I call it Serum L. L for life. You mean the stuff protects you from a bullet or a knife wound? In a way, yes. Swifter than the eye can see, it heals all wounds. The damage is repaired in a fraction of a second. Yeah. My serum is what protected Caesar. A shot of that stuff and you can't be killed. It sounds screwy, but that dog. Four slugs and not a mark on him. Look, Professor, I'm going to make a deal with you. Deal? Yeah. I'll let you keep on living if you'll give me a shot of that serum. 
But that's impossible. It hasn't been perfected What yet. do you mean it hasn't been perfected? It saved the dog, didn't it? Yes, of course, but well, I'm still in the experimental stage. I don't know how long the serum is effective or the condition in which it leaves the body after it has worn off. You're wasting time, Professor. I'd hate to have to persuade you. I see. Do you understand the responsibility is all yours? That's all right, Professor. You let me do the worrying. Now, come on, let's have a shot of that stuff. Very well. You roll up your sleeve? Sure. And don't try pulling a fast one, Professor. It won't be healthy. May I ask why you're so anxious to have my serum? Any guy in my racket who can take a slug and not feel it would be top man. I see. Just hold still a moment. All right, go ahead. <clears throat> That's all. Hey, my wounds. They're gone. Why, there isn't even a mark on my arm to show where they were. I told you it... Healed faster than the eye could see? Yeah. It's like a miracle. Think of it. I can't be killed. Nothing can stop me now. I can move in on all the rackets and take them all over. Yes, sir, I'll be king of the world. Duke, what do you want to see me about? I'm kind of busy. I won't take up much of your time. I'm after a job. Well, I'd like to give you one, but I have a room for another man. You're wrong. There's one job in your racket that's going to be open soon. Yours. Mine? Yeah. <laughs> Duke, you've got a funny sense of humor. Yeah, I know. But this is one time I'm not kidding. You better be kidding or it might not be healthy for you. I don't have to worry about my health anymore. You'd better go while the going's good. I like it here. You're the one who's leaving. Right now. You haven't got a gun, Duke. The boys saw to that. <laughs> and I have. You're a little nervous, aren't you, Williams? Stay where you are. I'll let you have it. I don't scare easily. Not anymore. You asked for... <laughs> Couldn't have missed. I won't this time. Don't seem to be able to stop me, Williams. I shot you. I tell you, I shot you. Why did you fall? <laughs> oh. oh, it can't be. I put six bullets into you. Why did you fall? Your gun is empty now, Williams. It's just you and me. No, don't, don't. I'll do anything you say. Stay away. Please, <laughs> Too bad, Williams. You should have resigned when I gave you the chance. But you would be stubborn. That's what they'll all get if they stand in my way. Hello, Mike. Come on in. <laughs> I'm just totaling up the take for last month. Going to be quite a haul. Ah, Duke, you're headed for trouble. You've been expanding too fast, stepping on too many people's toes. They don't want to get stepped on. They better stay out of my road. <laughs> they tried to bump me off a half a dozen times in the past month, and I'm still alive. Yeah, Duke, what is it that keeps you up even after they put a dozen slugs into you? Your job is to carry out my orders, not to ask questions. Oh, I, I didn't mean anything by it. I hope you didn't. Now, look, I want you to pick up a fast car. We're going after the Horton Diamond tonight. The Horton Diamond? Yeah. Ah, oh, Duke, that's suicide. We're cleaning up right here. Why risk our necks on a dangerous job? Because I want the Horton Stone. The way I got it figured, we can't miss. Remember, 
Their guns can't stop me. Seventy, the best you can get out of this car. I got my foot down to the floor now. Hey, look at that diamond, Mike. Isn't it a beauty? Think of it. I got a half a million bucks right in my hand. Yeah, a lot of good it's gonna do us if we don't shake that police car. Yeah, you're right. They're hanging on. We gotta shake them. Uh, there's nothing more I can do. I'm pushing this crate as fast as it'll go. All right, look out for this curve. We're taking it too fast. Hey, I can't control look it. Look out, we're going over here. They must have been doing all of 70 when they crashed. Yeah. They'll sure have a hard time identifying this guy behind the wheel. What a mess. What about the other guy? Let's have a look. Say, there isn't a mark on him. He's unconscious, but he doesn't appear to be hurt at all. But he must be after a crash like this. Take a look for yourself. I tell you, this guy is going to live. Uh, a lot of good it'll do him. After killing two guards of the Horton estate, he's headed to the electric chair. story of the king of the world as it is written here in the sealed book. Duke Farson, having been duly tried and sentenced for the murders he committed, is being strapped into the electric chair. 
Warden, you're wasting your time. This isn't the last mile from me. I'm one guy you can't fry. All right, Richards, we can proceed now. <clears throat> Will you examine the body, Doctor? Sorry to disappoint you, Warden, but... I'm not dead. But you must be. No man has ever lived through it. I'm not like other men, Warden. You can't kill me. Richards, unstrap the prisoner from the chair. What's happened must be due to a mechanical defect. That must be it. Uh, You look a little pale, Warden. Uh, It's good to get out of that chair. It's not very comfortable. Why are you all backing away from me? You afraid I'll hurt you? I'll just take this gun. Uh, That's better now. All right, Warden. Start marching. You're going to lead me to freedom if you want to live. Duke. Let me in, Joe. Quick. That's better. Hey, you look as though you'd seen a ghost, Joe. Papers are full of stories about your escape. They say the juice was turned on, and yet when it was over, you got up and walked away. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I told him I was one guy too big to be killed. Look, Duke, I can't afford any trouble with the cops. You know I'm a three-time loser. Shut up. I'm still giving orders. You'll do as I say. The cops can only send you up for life. I can do worse. Don't talk like that, Duke. You know you can count on me. I'll do anything you say. Uh, you'd better. I'm going to hole up here for a couple of weeks until the heat's off. Meanwhile, I'm going to make plans, big plans. I'm bigger than just being the king of the underworld. If I organize things right, there's no reason I can't use the underworld to take over the rest of the world. Yeah, that would make me king of the world. Wouldn't be hard to either. Why is that clock so loud? I can't even hear myself talk. What clock? There isn't any in this apartment. Are you deaf? Can't you hear it? No, Duke, honest. I don't hear a thing. You must be imagining things. I don't know. I don't hear it so loud now either. Yeah, I guess maybe it was my imagination. Yet I could have sworn. Well, never mind. I got other things to think of. Big things. Why don't you sit down, Duke, and take it easy? I'm tired of sitting Three weeks in this rat trap is enough for anyone. I've had about enough. The heat's on as big as ever, Duke. I never saw them as anxious to get anyone. Every time I go out, I expect some dick to trail me back to this hideout. Suppose you let me do the worrying, Sure, huh? sure. I was only talking. Uh, have you been having any more of those attacks lately? I'm okay. Stop talking about it. It's bad enough without having to be reminded about it. I don't want to hit... Hey, what's that? What, Duke? That buzzing sound. Keeps growing louder and louder. I don't hear nothing. Listen, you must hear it. It's a fly. Yeah, and it's getting louder. I tell you, I can't stand it. Fly? Yeah. I don't hear it. Wait, there's one over there flying around us crack. Well, do something, will you? I can't stand the noise. It's driving me crazy. Take it easy, Duke. I'm doing my best to kill it. Oh, thanks, Joe. That's gone now. For a while, I thought I'd 
blow my top. Maybe you'd better see a doctor, Duke. You've been getting these attacks more and more these past three weeks. Uh, no doctor can do me any good. There's only one man that can help me. Who's that? That's the professor. You, uh... You remember me, don't you, Professor? Yes, of course. I've been reading quite a bit about you in the papers lately, Mr. Farson. Uh, your serum was all right, Professor. It saved me from being electrocuted, but... I don't know, these last three weeks, something's happened, and I don't like it. Mm, suppose you tell me about it. I keep getting attacks. Maybe I'm listening to the radio. Everything's fine. Then all of a sudden, it grows louder, as though someone was turning it on full blast. Mm -hmm. It pounds on my head until I think I'm going crazy. Professor, I, I can't stand it. you you got to help me. You recall that when you asked for my serum, I told you it hadn't been perfected? Well? That I didn't know what effect it would have on the human body? Yeah, yeah, I know, but you, you got to help me now. I, I can't go on this way. I keep waiting for the next attack. Each one is worse than the last. You remember my great Dane Caesar, don't you? Yeah, sure. He tried to take a piece out of my throat, didn't he? I'll open this trap door. You can see him in the cellar. Huh? Yeah, there he is, Mr. Farson. Well, what's wrong with him? Why does he keep whining like that? Caesar, too, received an injection of the serum, Mr. Farson, six months before you received yours. Yeah? Now, every sound he hears is a hundredfold greater. I'm speaking to you in normal tone of voice. Yet to Caesar, I'm shouting unbearably loud. You, you mean that... Caesar has passed into a condition where every sound is sheer torment. To be quite frank, he went insane three months ago. Oh. Well, why don't you kill him? Put him out of his misery. You forget, Mr. Farson, that the serum still protects him from death. He can't die. And is that... Is that what'll happen to me in a few months? Yes. I'm sorry to say. But, Professor, there must be something you can do. Maybe you got another serum, huh? Anything. I've got money. I'm sorry, but uh, it isn't a question of money. I can offer you no help. I can't go on this way, waiting for each new attack. And then in the end, if only there was an end, if only I could die. Possibly there is a way out. There is? Tell me. I'll do anything. Well, as you know, my serum can prevent death from a dozen bullet wounds. But there might be one way its great healing powers could be defeated. Yeah, which way is that? If you were to use an explosive, a powerful explosive, you might... Blow yourself up into so many pieces that the serum would no longer be able to defeat death. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. One of the mob once had an accident with nitro. They never found a trace of him. Yeah. Yeah, nitro. That would do the trick. Yes, quite possibly. If the attacks continue and they're beyond endurance, it may be your one way of escape. My, my one way of escape? Once I thought that with your serum... I'd come to rule the world. Now I'm looking for a way out of it. Oh, oh it's you, Duke. Yeah. You expecting someone else? No, no, of course not. What are you so jittery about? Who, me? Yeah. I'm okay. 
What'd the guy you went to see say? He can't help me. No one can. What are you going to do, Duke? There's nothing I can do but wait. Maybe, maybe he was wrong. Maybe I won't get them attacks anymore. After all, just because it happened to the dog doesn't mean that... Hey, what's that? That, that steady pounding. It's growing louder and louder. Must be another attack. I, I can't stand it. It keeps pounding, pounding louder and louder. Maybe it's the faucet in the kitchen. It's been leaking lately. I'll have a look at it. I can't go on this way. I tell you, I can't. It's gone now, but there'll be another attack. And then another. The faucet was leaking. I just turned it off. Was that what was troubling you, Duke? Yeah. It's no use. I can't go on this way, waiting for it to happen all the time. And then ending up like that dog. What dog? Never mind. Get out the car. We're going on a little trip. Trip? Yeah. Where to, Duke? Upstate to the old hideout. I'm going to try to take the one way out. Don't you tell me what we come to this old place for? You'll see. Come on. What are you looking around for? Nothing. Nothing at all. Have you got the shovel? Yeah. Won't you at least tell me what we need the shovel for? You're going to do some digging for me in the cellar. There's something buried in the cellar. Yeah, nitro. All right, here's the cellar door. Nitro? You mean that's what's buried down there? Yeah. We started here for safe-cracking jobs. Now I got a better use for it. You are going to get me to dig it up and be suicide. You saved this gun, don't you, Joe? You haven't much choice. Now start down those steps. But I can't see. It's, it's pitch dark down here. That's okay. Just feel your way down the steps. We get to the bottom, I'll light a candle. Dude, please don't make me. Keep going. Duke, that was the bottom step. What about lighting a match? Okay, just a second. I've got one here. Grab him, Ross. I got his gun. I got him. Let go of me. I got to reach that thing, so let's go. Get him, coppers. Get him or he'll blow us all out. You rat, you squealed on me. Hold that light on him, Jordan. Hold that. Slip the cuffs on him. I got him. You've got to let me get to the nitro. It's the only way I can die. He's as crazy as a loon. Yeah. A place for this guy's in a padded cell. Farson, then you go. All right. uh, there. You won't be able to hurt yourself in that nice padded cell. All right. And you won't be able to hear any of those loud noises again, no, either. No, no noises. There aren't any radios or watches or automobile yeah. horns that can bother you in that cell. Yeah. It's guaranteed 100% soundproof. Yeah. <laughs> now be a good boy. Oh, you got to let me go. I want to die, do you hear? You can't let me live and suffer these attacks. Let me out of here. Let me out, do you hear? I can't stay. Oh, it's starting again. Another attack. It's growing louder and louder. A steady pounding. Oh, it's my heart beating. Growing louder and louder. I can't stop it. I can't stop it. I can't stop it.
And that is the story of the king of the world, as it is written in the sealed book. Years have passed, but Duke Ferguson is still locked up in the padded cell. Day and night he begs to be executed, and yet at the same moment he knows he can't die, that the serum in his blood has given him immortality and sentenced him to a life filled with torturous sounds from which there is no escape. There is no escape. It is so written here in the sealed book. But the sound of the great gong tells me I must close the great book once again. One moment, keeper of the book. What story from the sealed book will you tell us next time? Next time? (laughs) What shall it be? A tale of madness? Of terror? Of dark deeds in far lands? For I have them here. All the stories that ever happened. And many that have yet to come to pass. But I'll find one for you in just a moment. And now, keeper of the book, have you found the story you'll tell next time? Yes, yes, I found one. It's a story about a ruthless man who put money above all and wouldn't stop at murder to achieve his ends. The title of the tale is Death Spins a Web. Be sure to be with us again next time. And the great gong heralds another strange and exciting story from... (laughs) The Sealed Book. The Sealed Book, written by Bob Arthur and David Cogan, is produced and directed by Jock McGregor. Now for a complete change in mood, stay tuned for Ozzy and Harriet, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Ozzy and Harriet. When Red Skelton was drafted in March of 1944... Ozzie Nelson was prompted to create his own family situation comedy. The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet launched October 8th of 1944 on CBS. But it moved around quite a bit to CBC and then switched back to NBC and then back to CBS. Popular program. Everybody wanted it. The Nelson sons, David and Ricky, did not join the cast until the radio show's fifth year, initially appearing on the February 20th, 1949 episode, aged 12 and 8, respectively. So, since tonight's show was broadcast in 1948, the two boys playing the uh, parts of the sons, played by professional actors, David, played by Tommy Bernard, and Henry Blair, appeared as Ricky. Now... Let's hear the show entitled, The Matchmaker. America's finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. From Hollywood, International Silver Company, creators of 1847 Rogers Brothers Silver Plate, presents The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, starring America's favorite young couple, Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. 
See that man and the two boys walking down Rogers Road? That's Ozzie Nelson and his two sons, David and Ricky. David is 12 now, and... Yes, it doesn't seem possible, does it? Ricky is 8. Say, Ozzie seems rather concerned about something. I've never heard of such a thing in all my life. Me either. Me either. Just can't understand it. Never heard of a football exploding before. Yeah, but don't forget, Pop, you sat on it pretty hard. Sure scared me. What do you think it did to me? I sit down to read the paper and a football explodes under me. Glad it wasn't a basketball. I'd probably still be going up. <laughs> like this would be dangerous. I think we ought to write a letter to the manufacturers. At least get your money back. What did the football cost you, Ricky? Twenty-nine cents. <laughs> Of course, you can't expect too much for 29 cents. Guy, there's the kind of football I'd like. Look at that one, Ricky. That's the kind they use in real football games. Just buy that one, huh, Pop? Now, wait a minute, boys. I can't tell anything about a football by looking at it through the window. Like to feel the weight of it, examine the leather, look at the stitching. See how much it costs. <laughs> Come on, Pop. Let's go in. Boy, Ricky, look at all those baseball bats. Can we have one of those, too? Uh, one season at a time, David. We're just getting a football. And don't handle things. Hey, David, look at these over here. Uh, how do you do? I'd like to buy a football for my boys. Sorry, I'm just a customer. Oh, oh I, uh, pardon me. I've been trying to get hold of the salesman myself. He seems to be pretty busy. Yeah, I, I'm sorry to be staring so, but you look awfully familiar. I was just thinking the same thing about you. I remember now. Rutgers. Class of 32. Of course. You're uh, uh, Bruce Manchester. N- n- just a minute now. Don't tell me. I've got it. Nelson. Right. Of course. Nelson. Schnozzy Nelson. <laughs> no, no, Ozzy. Oh, of course. Ozzy Nelson. <laughs> well, let me look at you. My golly, you haven't changed a bit. Put on a little weight, maybe. Oh, this is a pretty heavy suit I'm wearing. Are you living here now, Bruce? No, no. I just came in town for a few days. Going to do a little hunting. Oh, that's right. You're quite the boy on the rifle team, aren't you? Well, I wasn't the best. You weren't so bad yourself on the, uh... uh, The football team. Oh, yes, yes. But there was something else. You always carried something with you. Uh, I know, the ukulele. Oh, well, I wasn't the best. Uh, uh, What have you been doing, Bruce? Oh, I was flying transports in China for a few years. That got pretty tiresome. Yes, it does get on a guy's nerves. Then I spent a little time in Arabia and South America for an oil company. Then I went through the Congo with a zoological expedition. What have you been doing? Well, uh, uh, every Wednesday night I go bowling. (laughs) I'm married. In fact, those are my two boys over there by the counter. Oh, sure. Say, the little fellow looks a lot like you, Oz. Yeah. Uh, well, you can't see him too well. Uh, Ricky, stop pressing your face against that tennis racket. <laughs> Who did you marry, Ozzy? Well, the girl I used to go with. You remember? Oh, sure. That short, fat little girl. Uh, <laughs> uh, wait a minute. Fanny. That was a name. No, no, no. That was just a nickname. No, I really didn't go with her. She was uh, just a, a good dancer. Don't you remember Harriet? Harriet? Of course. You married her? Yes, sir. I know you're always chasing her around with your ukulele. (laughs) How'd you ever do it? Well, she finally caught me. (laughs) How about you? Not married, are you? No, not me. I'm afraid I'm the perennial bachelor. Oh, same old Bruce. Still the old woman hater. Mm, Don't hate him. Just don't see any sensible reason for having him around. Wait a little, Pop. He's the kind of love, boy. 
Genuine pigskin. Well, we'll see in a minute, fellas. Now, this is David, and this is Ricky, Bruce. This is Mr. Manchester, an old school friend of your dad's. Hello, fellas. Hello, oh, hi. Well, we'll have to get together real soon, then, Bruce. I'm staying down at the Elks Club. Why don't you give me a call? Do you do much hunting? Mm, no, Bruce, I'm not much with a gun. You bagged a chicken once, Pa. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't shoot him, David. I ran over him with the car. Well, I'll give you a ring, Bruce, and maybe we can do something. Sure thing. Nice seeing you again, Ozzy. around the living room, I'll stick a hat pin in it. Oh, it was really my fault. I'll stick the hat pin in you. <laughs> Come on, Rick, let's go outside and play. Careful the windows, boys. Harriet, you'll never guess who we bumped into at the sports shop. Bruce Manchester. Bruce Manchester? Yeah, you remember Bruce from school. We went on double dates with him all the time. We used to go up and park at Inspiration Point. I've never been to Inspiration Point. <laughs> Oh, that's right. It was Bruce and myself and Fanny, uh, Danny and Bob. <laughs> the four of us guys from astronomy class used to go up there. Was he that black-haired fellow who always used to smoke a pipe? Yeah, that's right. The, the good-looking guy, big outdoor stuff. He's going on a hunting trip, staying down at the Elks Club for a few days. Why didn't you ask him out for dinner? Bruce? Oh, I doubt if he'd want to come. He's strictly the confirmed bachelor type. He'd be bored to death having dinner here. I've invited Lucille Baxter over. I don't think he'd be exactly bored to death. Oh, I get it now. Will you tell me one thing? Why do women always have to be matchmakers? The minute you find out a friend of mine is in town, an eligible bachelor, you think of some girl you can call I up... invited Lucille over a week ago. Even before he's in town, you ask her over. <laughs> I don't be so silly. You haven't seen Bruce for years. If you do invite him over, I'm sure you'll find Lucille much more interesting than the Elks Club. Harriet, it's no use. Bruce has more sense than to get himself hooked. That isn't very flattering, dear. Do you feel you were hooked? No, of course not. But, well, you know what those matchmaking deals can be. With us, it was different. I proposed. Nobody tried to push me into it. You invited me over for dinner. I remember it very well. I got the invitation from your Uncle Slug, the policeman. <laughs> I never had an Uncle Slug, and he wasn't a policeman. Yeah, I guess he wasn't actually a policeman. He just used to go with him a great deal. <laughs> I can assure you, dear, nobody's trying to hook poor Brucey boy. Oh, no, I see that gleam in your eye, that matchmaking complex. Have you forgotten what Lucille looks like, dear? Men take one look at her and lose their mind. I know, but not this guy. He's strictly the bachelor type. I dare you to invite him over. <sighs> I double dare you. If you want to call and go right ahead. I'm just trying to prevent an awkward situation. Thank you, dear, but we accept the challenge. I'll go calling. Hi, Oz. Beautiful day, huh? I think so, Thorny. It's a little too windy for me. Oh, this is the kind of day I like. That wind's from the west. I don't care where it's from. It's too cold for me. <laughs> you don't understand, Oz. When the wind's from the west, it blows the leaves off my lawn onto your lawn. <laughs> sour about today? Oh, it's nothing important, really. A, a bachelor friend of mine's in town, so Harriet immediately decides to cook up some matchmaking deal with a girlfriend of hers. I just hate to see the poor guy get hooked. Oh, one of those deals, huh? 
Reminds me of the way Catherine hooked me. Would you care to hear about it, Oz? No, not especially. It was very clever. (laughs) She invited me over for Thanksgiving dinner and had the preacher hiding in the turkey. (laughs) Tony, why is it that women are always trying to push people together and get them all married? Oz, there's nothing wrong with marriage. It's a great institution. I believe every man should be happily married whether he likes it or not. I agree, Thorny, but this is a little different. This is a fiendish, typically feminine scheme. Here is a guy, a happy bachelor, lives at the Elks Club, eats in restaurants. So Harriet's going to cook this guy a home-cooked dinner. I bet she's making those candied yams. Yeah, and a roast all spiced up. She cooks it with bay leaves and with thick brown gravy. And I'm leading this poor guy right into the trap. Oz, how could you? He could be eating at the Elks Club or the drugstore. Oh, the poor devil. Missing one of those drugstore dinners. (laughs) He's also having fruit salad. With that thick whipped cream on top? Yeah, and hot biscuits with butter and and apricot preserves. Oz, if I had a stick, I'd beat you. I deserve it, Thorny. And that's not the worst. Listen to this. This girl, Lucille, she's absolutely beautiful, Thorny. You know, one of those those redheads, you know, the sultry type. And here, this poor, happy bachelor, and he's going to have this beautiful girl thrown at him all evening, and it's all my fault. How's you monster? (laughs) What can I do? Well, I'm still willing to help you, Oz, even if you are a heel. Tell you what. Yeah? I've I've lived a bad life. Oh, no. No, no, I've I've been bad, Oz. I, I haven't been good. I I've been bad. Thorny, what are you talking about? I, I deserve punishment. Spare that poor boy, Oz, and invite me. <laughs> Harriet, Harriet. I'm right here, dear. What do you want? Uh, I, I've been thinking things over. Maybe you'd better not call Bruce. Oh, I've already called him, and he's accepted. Isn't that nice? He definitely said he'd be here? Oh, yes. He seemed delighted. In fact, he's bringing out some new special hunting rifle he wants you to see. Oh, fine. Things aren't bad enough with a home-cooked dinner and Lucille. The poor guy's even bringing his own shotgun. Hurry, this way, ladies and gentlemen, for the big contest of the evening, that super-duper colossal conflict that's been going on since the dawn of history, man versus woman. In a little city somewhere in America tonight, a titanic struggle is about to take place. I'm Bruce Manchester, Rutgers 32. I'm the woodsy outdoor type. I like tweed jackets, a good pipe, and the smell of a wet water spaniel. I'm a bachelor, and I hope to stay that way. Oh, driver, take me to 1847 Rogers Road. I'm Lucille Baxter. At present, I'm basking in single blessedness, but I must admit I'm looking for the right man. 
Harriet. Lucille, come on in, dear. Yes, folks, there you have it. What will happen when the irresistible force meets the immovable object? Will Mr. Manchester give Miss Baxter the cold shoulder? Or will lovely Lucy cook Bachelor Brucey's goosey? Yes, uh, she's a friend of Mrs. Nelson's. Oh, how exciting. I, I'm a little worried. See, it's going to be a very intimate party, just, just the four of us. And this friend of mine, Bruce Manchester, is a bachelor. And I don't think... A bachelor? He... Yeah. Oh! <laughs> oh, Mr. Nelson. Well, see, the girl... <laughs> Would you do that again, please? coming over is Mrs. Nelson's friend, Lucille Baxter. And Mrs. Nelson has ideas about interesting my friend in her friend. Well, of course. After all, Mrs. Nelson is a woman. You know, several people have mentioned that. <laughs> but frankly, Emmy, I feel that it's my duty not to let my friend get hooked with, without at least a struggle. Oh, Mr. Nelson, you're so naive. What chance do you stand against a woman? You're only a man. Nothing but a man. What do you mean? It got me into the YMCA. <laughs> oh, but, but you men don't have our cunning, our trickery. Trickery? That's an idea. Trickery of all's fair in love and war. What are you going to do? Emmy Lou, just keep this in mind. I'm not quite as stupid as a lot of people think I am. Oh, I know, Mr. Nelson. I keep saying that. And you should hear some of the arguments I get into. <laughs> Bruce Manchester, Lucille. This is Lucille Baxter. How do you do? Hello, Miss Baxter. Bruce, why don't you and Lucille sit over here on the couch? Well, that's a good idea. Sit right here, Lucille. Thanks. And uh, Bruce, uh, you sit here on, on the other side of me. I understand you're quite a sportsman, Mr. Manchester. Oh, well, Bruce I, uh... is quite a sportsman. Hunting, fishing. Of course, we married men don't get to do things like that. You know how marriage is. It ties you down. Uh, Lucille, don't you do a little hunting? Just a little. I'm not very good at it. Nobody's ever taken the trouble to teach me. Well, Miss Baxter, uh, I... Hey, Bruce. Uh... <laughs> yes? Uh, 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 shot any good animals lately? <laughs> Not lately. The hunting season just opened. I imagine it's a lot of bother teaching a woman how to hunt. Although I'd love to learn. <laughs> I'd be only too glad well, say, to Bruce, show you. Say, uh, Bruce, Bruce, uh, remember Jim Marshall? Uh, Jim Marshall... Oh, sure, Oz. Uh, as I said, Miss Baxter, if you're a great you guy, really a great guy. Ozzy, stop interrupting. Oh, was I interrupting? I'm sorry. Uh, what were you saying about Jim Marshall, Bruce? Well, I was just... Uh, I was just saying that... I wasn't saying anything about Jim Marshall. Jim Marshall? Oh, a great guy. He's married now, all settled down. Children, a wife. Kids all tied down. Uh, dear, dinner's nearly ready. Don't you want to go upstairs and get your coat and tie on? Oh, Harriet, stop nagging. Well, you know I always dress like this at home That's the way it goes, Bruce When you're first married, you dress up But after a while, you learn to relax 
What with helping cook meals, wash dishes, clean house, and look after the children, you get your good clothes pretty messed up. Uh, those hunting trips of yours, they must be pretty exciting, Bruce. Oh, oh fairly no, so, Harriet. I don't imagine you'd like a woman alone on a hunting trip. Oh, no. They probably just... Get in the way. Oh, certainly. Oh, no. No, as a matter of fact, most of the fellows are married. They bring well, no. their wives along. The women do the cooking. Well, it's no. very nice. I know, but poor little old me would only get in the way. Uh, speaking of the old gang, Bruce, remember Larry Scott? Poor Larry. Something happened to him? He's up there now, Bruce. Larry died. Uh, no, he and his wife are living above a garage. <laughs> Places are so hard to find. There's a big housing shortage. Couples are living in tents and trailers. You mean you actually don't mind having a wife? Oh, towns. Not at all. In fact, it gets pretty lonesome for me. I'm the only bachelor in the crowd. Oh, so... poor little you. Yeah, a lot of young married People <laughs> living in piano crates or boxcars, a big housing shortage. Oh, dear, I smell something burning. I think it's my roast. Pardon me. Home-cooked meals, the joys of marriage. Home-burned meals is more nearly the truth. It happens all the time. Personally, I like meat well done. It gives it a nice, woodsy sort of flavor. Uh, well, we might just as well go into dinner. When you smell it burning, you know it's ready. <laughs> Everything all right, Harry? Oh, I hope so. I'm afraid the meat's going to be pretty well done. I caught it just in time. Come on in, folks. You won't have to coax me, Harriet. I haven't had a good home-cooked meal in ages. Well, don't be afraid to eat, Bruce. There's plenty of everything. What's that old quotation about eating a hearty meal? The condemned man Never mind, ate... dear. <laughs> Would you like more of anything, anybody? How about you, Bruce? Oh, no, thanks, Harriet. I've had plenty. It was wonderful. I can't understand how the meat got burned. I'm sure somebody must have turned up the heat on the oven. Oh, Harriet, you burn the meat now and then. It happens in every marriage. Didn't even notice it myself. I guess I'm getting used to it. Oh, the meat was fine, Harriet. Oh, yes, it was, dear. A little black and crisp, but very tasty. You're burning it much better now. <laughs> Shall we go into the living room? It might be more comfortable. Oh, fine. Allow me, Lucille. So I'd better go in and close the windows. We have very noisy neighbors. A man and his wife, a married couple, always fighting and shouting at each other. Very noisy neighbors. The Thornberrys? Ozzie, we couldn't possibly have nicer neighbors. I know, Harriet, but, but sometimes they can be very noisy neighbors. I'll get it. That's probably Thorny now. How do you know? He always knows. Yeah, I know his buzz, dear. Oh, pardon me. Darn you, Thorny, you missed your cue. Well, Thorny, come in. I couldn't help it. You didn't talk loud enough. Well, thank you, Oz. Very well, shout. Come on into the living room. <clears throat> Hello, Thorny. This is Mr. Manchester and Miss Baxter. This is our neighbor, Mr. Thornberry. How do you do, Mr. Thornberry? Hello. A pleasure. I just stopped in to see if I could borrow Ozzy's sleeping bag. A sleeping bag? You going camping, Thorny? No, my wife's brother's staying with us. <laughs> He's got my room, so I'm sleeping out in the backyard. <laughs> Oh, it's, it's not so bad. He's only staying for six or seven weeks. <laughs> it does get a little tough when the snow comes, though. Oh, those in-laws will visit. It happens in every marriage. Couldn't you sleep on the couch, Mr. Thornberry? Mm. Oh, yes. I, I get the couch when my father-in-law leaves. <laughs> There's married life for you. My sleeping bag's out in the garage, Thorny. You're welcome to it. Bless you, Oz. <laughs> Something to eat before you go, Thorny. 
Maybe a big slice of ham or a piece of bologna. Uh, <laughs> no, thanks, Harriet. I, I really have to go. I've stayed too long now. It'll mean a beating when I get home. <laughs> Good night. He was kidding, wasn't he, Harriet? Oh, of course oh, he, he was. was. Uh, Lucille, didn't you say something about having to get home early? Well, I'm sure Bruce wouldn't mind dropping you off. Oh, no, I wouldn't mind at all. I'll get my coat. Don't be silly, I wouldn't think of it. Lucille lives way on the other side of town. The, the southern part. Harriet and I can drive her home. I like to drive anyway. I like to drive, too. I love to drive. Oh, Bruce, always the gentleman. I am not a gentleman. I, I mean, uh... <laughs> yeah, be a Don't be silly, Bruce. Harriet and I are only too happy to take her home. I'll get my coat. I wish Ozzie wouldn't, Harriet. I can easily take the bus. I don't know why I can't drive you home. Okay, already. Harriet, if you'll... Hey. Well, that's funny. Harriet, did you see the car keys? Well, no, dear. Don't you have them? Well, I left them right here on the table, but they're gone. Oh, that's a pity. Well, I guess you'll just have to let me take you home, Lucille. If you're sure, it won't be too much trouble, Brucey. No trouble at all. <laughs> well, I hate to rush off like this, but if Lucille has to go... Oh, go right ahead. Call me tomorrow, Lucille. Uh, you want me to ride out with you, Bruce? Oh, there wouldn't be room, Ozzie. I've got a lot of stuff in the back. Uh, seats and things. <laughs> Thanks for the dinner, Harriet. Ozzy. Good night, all. Good, Good night. night. Good night, Bruce. Ozzy? Yes, dear? Don't you speak to me, you wretch. What did I do? What did you do? What didn't you do? You did just about everything possible to discourage them. Well, I just wanted to make sure the guy had his eyes open. Oh, aren't you ashamed? Could you see how well they hit it off right from the start? Sure, I could see that. And why'd you go ahead with your scheme? Well, it was too late to call it off. I wanted to. Why did you insist that we take Lucille home? Well, if you hadn't lost your car keys, you'd have spoiled the whole thing. Oh, Harriet, you don't really think the car keys were lost, do you? You said they were. You mean you didn't even suspect that I had them right in my pocket? Uh-huh. <laughs> now who's the matchmaker? You could have fooled me. Well, I'm... Kind of sentimental, I guess. My mind works in strange ways. <laughs> Yours not to wonder why. Yours but to do and die. Yeah, that's a very good idea. What is? What you just said. I'll do the dishes and you dry. <laughs> Coming. Who in the world could be ringing the doorbell at this hour of the night? Bruce! Oh, uh, did I wake you folks up? No, 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 Bruce. That's okay. On the contrary, everything's perfect. I came back for several reasons. Uh, first of all, Harriet, I want to thank you for introducing me to Lucille. There's a wonderful girl. Bruce, you ran away and got married. Uh, well, not quite. <laughs> but it's going to happen very, very soon, and I wanted you to be the first to know about it. Well, there's nothing like it, Bruce. Congratulations. I see you're both sleepy. I wanted to thank you, but, well, I wouldn't have stopped this time of the morning just for that purpose. Uh, I uh, hope you won't be sore, Oz. Uh, sore about what? Well, I guess I accidentally put them in my pocket. <laughs> Here are your car keys. <laughs> Ozzy Nelson. Uh, uh, well, good night. I've got to get back to the club. Good night, Bruce. Good night, Bruce. 
Say, Bruce, Bruce. Uh, oh, are they? Did the door close on you? Uh, yeah, yeah, the, the wind, uh, that is, uh, I think I'll stay down at the Elks Club, too, tonight. <laughs> Oh, hi, Oz. Uh, Harriet, I want Oh, it's to... all right, Thorny. You're forgiven. Sit down, Thorny. Have some breakfast? Uh, no, Oz. I, uh, I came over about your sleeping bag. Oh, well, just put it back in the garage, Thorny. Well, I was wondering if I could borrow it for a while. My brother-in-law came to stay with us today. <laughs> Tune in again next week for another adventure of Ozzie and Harriet, starring Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. And remember... America's finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. Yes, Harriet, America's finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. Appearing in support of Ozzie and Harriet were John Brown, Janet Waldo, Henry Blair, Tommy Bernard, Loreen Tuttle, and Donald Woods. Original music was composed and conducted by Billy May. This program originates in the Hollywood studios of the National Broadcasting Company and is also broadcast over the Trans-Canada Network of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. This is Byrne Smith speaking. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Saint, followed by Phil Harris and Alice Fay. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.